Take your Bibles, please, and turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. This year we have looked into 1 Peter and we have discovered we ourselves are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices which are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. All year I've carried a stone in my pocket. Reminding me that I am to be a living stone, not a dead rock. Because I have a responsibility to God. And that is to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to Him. How you doing? I am so thankful that God accepts our spiritual sacrifices. Now, a couple of weeks ago, while I was playing with my rock in my pocket, it chipped off a piece. I got a lot of rough edges. How about you? And God's still working on me. And He's chipping me and He's polishing me and He's conforming me to the character of His Son, Jesus Christ, so that I can be more effective as I offer up those spiritual sacrifices. Now, I've always studied 1 Peter. We've discovered that 1 Peter wrote Peter. Or that Peter wrote 1 Peter. John Carlson, in his commentary on 1 Peter, says this. Of all the disciples, the most relatable, at least to me, is Simon Peter, the fisherman from Galilee. How right Jesus was when seeing Peter sleeping in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I think that is why I readily identify with Peter. Follow me, Jesus said. When he first called Peter, Peter dropped his nets on the spot. Three years later, after being with Jesus daily, we still see Peter following. But now he is following from afar. If it's you, Lord, beckon me to come, Peter cried in the midst of the storm. When Jesus did, Peter miraculously walked on the water until he took his eyes off the Lord and began to sink. Thou art the Christ. Christos, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, Peter declared. Five verses later, Peter opposes Jesus to such a degree that Jesus calls him Satan and says, get you behind me, Satan. That's why I can relate to Peter. Follow me, Jesus said, but Peter followed from a distance. Walk on water, Jesus said, and Peter sank. You are the Christ, Peter said boldly, but he argued with Jesus anyway. Peter had such great moments, followed by such deep defeats. His heart was truly willing, but his flesh was weak. You identify with Peter? Peter is talking to us as elect exiles. And he's reminding us that we are to be living stones. And we have outlined 1 Peter this way. Chapter 1 tells us that suffering proves our faith. Chapter 2 reminds us that we are to have a testimony like Christ. Chapter 3, others are watching. Chapter 4 tells us that there is nothing else but God. And in chapter 5, elders are to serve humbly. And Peter ends his epistle by saying, stand firm. Do you see that in verse 12 of chapter 5? 
Circle that, underline that in your Bibles. And say it with me this morning, will you please? Stand firm. One more time. Stand firm. As elect exiles, no matter where we find ourselves, we are to stand firm in the faith. Now our text this morning begins with verse 10. And verses 10 and 11 are a couple of verses that we have been working on memorizing, right? Let's read, or I trust by now, quote these verses together. We'll start with the reference, 1 Peter 5, 10 and 11, then we'll read or quote the verses, all right? Then we'll finish with the reference. Here we go. 1 Peter 5, 10 and 11. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. And all God's people said, First Peter 5, 10, and 11. This morning we're going to look at lasting lessons from First Peter. And we are going to discover that Peter gives to us a foundation for our lives as elect exiles. We all fall short, but I am so thankful that God's grace is sufficient, aren't you? And that's where we're going to begin this morning. We are going to understand that God is the God of grace. Notice that in verse 10, will you please? It says, the God of all grace. God is the God of grace in our salvation, is he not? For by grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men. And that's why God sent his Son, right? And the Word became flesh, John 1.14, and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Aren't you thankful for God's grace this morning? And aren't you thankful that it's all about his grace that we have a personal relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ? Because none of us, none of us could earn a right standing with God. But he sent his son full of grace and full of truth, and he accepts us because of his his grace. Faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, reformation truths but truths that are foundational to our lives. But not only do we have salvation, we also have security. His grace is sufficient. Paul said, in my weakness, I discover how strong he is. And his grace is sufficient. No matter what you're going through today, I want you to know that God's grace is sufficient for you. And you know we go through it had the privilege of teaching the Berean Sunday school class this morning, and we looked at Noah. And I asked the class, what do you know about Noah? And the Berean class is a very positive class. Now, the reason we talked about God's grace in Noah is that is the first time that the word grace is found in the Scriptures. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. If you have an ESV, it says favor in the eyes of the Lord. 
And so they were talking about Noah's faithfulness, and they were talking about Noah's righteousness, and they were talking about how, how Noah fulfilled God's plan, and, and all these kinds of things. And I said, did you ever think that Noah spent a year in a stinky ark with only animals and had cabin fever? But God's grace was sufficient. And even in the ark with those stinky animals, and I cannot even imagine that. Some years ago, Connie and I went and saw the sight and sound Noah. I don't remember much about it other than the aroma. They piped in a wonderful, unmistakable aroma. That made an impression on my senses. And I thought about Noah. His grace was sufficient. And God's grace is also sufficient in our sanctification. And I am so thankful that it's the process that God puts us through. As we are growing and developing our relationship with him. Verse 10, and after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace. <laughs> That's progressive sanctification, folks. No pain, no gain. No opportunity to know how good God is without all of the struggles. And Peter has outlined the struggles. And he says that we are to follow in the steps of Jesus because he struggled and he suffered. And he had to put up with it. And that's where you and I are. He is the God of all grace. Nine times in 1 Peter, Peter has talked about God's grace. We'll not take time to look at those. But as you go back through 1 Peter, just circle the word grace. Twice it's translated gracious. God is the God of all grace. And not only is the God, is he the God of all grace, he has called us to his eternal glory in Christ. Amen? He has called us to his eternal glory. Now I remind you that we are just elect exiles. And this world is not our home. This is not the end of it. As wonderful as this church family is and as great as it is to get together and share in each other's lives, this isn't heaven. There's more. And it's the eternal glory. I don't know who the oldest person is in this room today. But I do know this, whoever that person is, their life is just a drop in the bucket as it relates to glory. And God has called us to eternal glory. Keep your finger here in chapter 5 and turn back to chapter 1, will you please? 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, 
He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Here it is. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for our salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And somebody say amen. Woo! Teaching the Brian class this morning. I said, somebody give me a woo-hoo. And Dennis gave me an amen. He's not a woo-hoo kind of guy. (laughs) But however you express thanksgiving in what God is doing in your life, understand that it is God who has called us to his eternal glory. Woo-hoo! Amen. We have so much to look forward to. Eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered in the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. And it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. All trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race as elect exiles till we see Christ. And it is this eternal glory that is a living hope. It is this eternal glory that is an inheritance, imperishable, undefiled, unfading. And it is God's power that guards us, that guards us so that it might be revealed one day. Back to chapter 5, please. 1 Peter chapter 5. After you suffered a little while, God of all grace called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Will himself, now stop right there. This is not his assistant. This is not God's surrogate. This is not God's representative. This is not someone that God appoints. This is God himself. Underline that in your minds, will you please? God himself will do what? Four ways. God himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. God himself will restore. If you're using a King James Version, you may have the word perfect. It's a process. It's part of progressive sanctification. It's growth in our lives. And it is God who works in us to conform us to the character of his son, Jesus Christ. And God himself is doing that work in our lives. Amen? God himself will restore. Has the idea of adjusting and fitting together. Sometimes in the New Testament it's translated 
in relationship to mending nets. You need any mending this morning? The holidays are coming. And you know, sometimes the holidays are tough. I should have shared with you another prayer request. Thursday evening, I have the privilege of going to Farley Estes Funeral Home and sharing in their service of remembrance. And I'm going to be sharing a message that's entitled, Hope for the Holidays. Holidays are tough sometimes. And if you've lost a loved one this year, the holidays are going to be especially tough. But I want you to know that we have a God who himself will mend whatever is torn in your life and put it back together because that's the kind of God we have. God himself will meet our needs. And not only will we restore, he'll confirm. Establishes the King James word. Has the idea of fixing firmly, setting fast, turning in the right direction. You ever find yourself distracted with life? Headed the wrong direction? Not too long ago, I tried to find where one of you folks lived. I thought I knew. But after I got done looking for your house, I never did make it. I was so turned around, I had no idea where I was, except on the west side of Battle Creek. Life does that to us. We get turned around, and we, we don't know where we are. But God himself will establish us, will confirm us, will set us on the right path and put us in the right direction. Hebrews puts it this way, Wherefore, seeing you are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. You can never get lost if you're looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the same, and is now set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen? God himself will confirm and establish it. And God himself will strengthen us. Has the idea of getting vigor. Some of you may notice and a lot of times when I have to teach Sunday school and then preach a message, I'll have a colored water bottle. This is Zip Fizz. I mean, what's Zip Fizz? It's a concentration of vitamins. And it does make a difference. What, what's, that, what's that caffeine drink? That, what is it? Well, coffee. <laughs> what is it? Five-hour energy. That's what I'm trying to think. I've never had the stuff. But, but, but it, it, it's supposed to give you vigor, right? We need that. We need some strength. We need some encouragement. We need some energy to be the kind of people God wants us to be. And God himself gives it to us. He strengthens us. He makes us firm. He will not let us slide. 
Now, that's true of our salvation, right? Jesus said, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Amen? Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Amen? But I want you to know that even after we're saved, he strengthens us. Because we are strengthened with all might. Better than zip fizz. And God himself does it. And God himself will establish us. Foundationally. The wise man built his house upon the The wise man built his house upon the The wise man built his house upon the Some of you are getting it. And the rains came a-tumbling down, right? The rains came down and Good! The rains came down and The rains came down and And the house on the rock stood firm. Amen? The foolish man built his house upon the Right, that's exactly right. Now, God himself will establish us, build us on the rock. And we will never slip. God himself will meet our needs. You know, that's a pretty good lesson to learn. God himself will meet our needs. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. To God be the glory, great things he has done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son, who yielded his life and atonement for sin. And open the life gate that the chorus. Praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son. Great things he had done. That's easy to sing, but tough to live. Because life's not that simple. But it is true. To God be the glory. May I very quickly remind you of what Peter has told us? Peter has told us that it's trials that help us prove the genuineness of our faith. Peter has told us that it's spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God. Peter has told us that we are to proclaim the excellencies of our God. That in everything God is to be glorified. And here to him be the dominion and power forever and ever. Amen. Right? That's all God's grace. And we need to stand firm in God's grace. Verse 12. By Silvanus, 
a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. The true grace of God. Stand firm in it. What is grace? Grace is God giving to us what you and I do not deserve. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. And we need to stand firm in his grace. And if we do that, what can we expect? Look at the last line of this book. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. God's grace and peace are blended together so that we might understand who he is. Paul puts it this way in Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God. Did you notice be anxious happens in life, doesn't it? And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. God's grace leads us to peace. Amen? In these final greetings, Paul has identified some faithful individuals. Silvanus, probably Silas. He's faithful. Paul and Silas were in prison together, and now we have Peter and Silas, and it was Silas who delivered this message. Verse 13 talks about she who is at Babylon. And it's an interesting translation because she who is at is not in the text. That was supplied. And there are some translations that talk about the church at Babylon. So we don't really know what Peter's talking about. But somebody at Babylon, Babylon who was chosen, sends greetings. And then it talks about Mark. Mark, my son, John, Mark. Peter knew John Mark's mother. It was Paul and Barnabas who had a dispute over John Mark in Acts chapter 15. And here Mark is identified. And then Peter says, greet one another with the kiss of love. Four times in the New Testament it talks about a holy kiss. I think that's interesting. Peter calls it here a kiss of love. Now, I need to remind you very quickly that the women kiss the women and the men kiss the men. So don't you go around kissing people, all right? But the understanding is that we are together in this family of God. And we ought to display God's love that we have experienced to one another. So, there's the lessons of First Peter. Some of you didn't think we'd make it through this year. 
but we did. And as we end this epistle, we discover that as elect exile travelers, we have a gracious God who will meet all of our needs. Amen? And he did that as he sent his son to be the Savior of the world in his given body and shed blood.